Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we're continuing to explore the scriptures dealing with the gospel of the kingdom. And this was the gospel that Jesus Christ preached to Israel at his first coming 2,000 years ago. This was a gospel that was based completely on all the prophecies about it from the Old Testament. So when Israel rejected this uh, offer of the kingdom, uh, you might scratch your head if you're not a Jew and you're, you're looking at this from the outside and wondering how in the world with all the magnificent things that were described in the Old Testament by a number of the writers of the, uh, those 39 books in the Old Testament that talked about this coming Messiah, this coming king, this coming conqueror that was going to set up this magnificent kingdom on earth with Israel as the focus, Israel as the focus. Uh, you know, you have one perspective as a Gentile, and again, the whole world is, according to the Bible, is divided into two people groups, the Gentiles and the Jews. And realizing that there's only about 15 to 16 million Jews in the whole world out of seven and a half billion people, you could kind of scratch your head about that one, but that is the glory of God. He uses the least the least uh, circumstances, the, the lowest of people. I mean, you look at the 12 apostles. These guys were all but, but Judas were all from the Galilee, which was considered to be a backwater place where people with um, not a great deal of intelligence lived. So when they saw and heard the apostles speaking, they were scratching their heads. How in the world can these guys know this? Well, that's an example of God's grace and how he uses people uh, from the the lower parts of society, if you will, to do the glory of his work, which is really why we're here on the earth. We're not on the earth to embellish ourselves, embellish our lives, and to be rise up in society. Our real purpose here on this earth is to glorify God and to find out what pleases him, and that's what these men did. Uh, you go all the way back to Deuteronomy, and you find that when, when uh, God picked Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to set up the nation of Israel. He said, I didn't pick you as the largest of the people groups, the largest of the nations. No, you were the smallest. So he always shows you that he uh, he does things his way, and his way a lot of times is not our way. In fact, that sounds like a Bible verse, doesn't it? That uh, the important thing here to understand is that Israel, even though the leadership and I'm speaking somewhat for myself here right now because it's a generalization statement. But when Jesus came, everything that he spoke about, everything that he was promising to do had been prophesied. So um, who, who knew that, and what did they do with that information? Well, obviously the leadership of the church, principally, or excuse me, not the church, the leadership of Israel, which was principally the religious leadership, Again, understanding that Rome was the government side of it, 
Um, they were the autocratic rulers over Israel at this time that Jesus came. But the Roman government let the Jewish religious leaders run their religion the way they wanted to because Rome respected ancient religions. That's why they allowed the Roman um, high priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees to principally have their way. It was this Jesus that came along with what is what was called the way, capital W in the Bible, the way. This was this new way with Jesus as the king. That's what the Romans didn't like. They didn't like somebody coming in and saying they were king when Roman society knew full well that the emperor was not only their king, but he was their god. So that's why the Romans took great exception to this Jesus fellow. But they had uh, a great deal of um, loose administration, if you will, over the religious leaders because they, they viewed Judaism as an ancient religion and therefore to be pretty much respected. So it was it was difficult at that time to understand the details of what was contained in the prophecies of the Old Testament because the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, basically the leadership over Israel did not want that to get out because they saw this as somebody who's going to take their authority away from them. So the people were basically ignorant of it. They knew that there was a man coming that would be their Messiah, that would be their king, that would do all these magnificent physical things, if you will, for Israel to remove the Roman uh, government and the Roman authority and to allow Israel to to be free again and to be reestablished as chief among the nations with somebody like David as their king. And they would be back to this magnificent position that they had. But then this man comes along and starts talking about moral and ethical behavior. And that's what got them. That's what got the people. The, the average person on the street, if you will, what got the leadership was the fact that Jesus was king, and they did not like that. So you had two earthly wrong perspectives of this promised kingdom. The, the wrong perspective from the leadership because of authority and the wrong perspective of the people that they were expecting a conquering king and not somebody who was going to come along and tell them how to live their lives and what was right living and what was wrong living. Remember, this was a time when Israel was steeped in idol worship. A lifestyle of iniquity, if you will, was was basically common practice. And Jesus was saying, no, not that's not the way it's going to be uh, when you accept me as king. So it, you you have some different perspectives of what's going on here, and none of it particularly was the correct perspective and that's why they rejected Jesus, because they didn't understand the facts that were being presented. So what I want to do now to kind of expand on this is to see just how wrong the people were um, in the way they viewed Jesus and the, the offer of this kingdom here. And let's do that by going to Acts. Now, this is a period of time after Jesus has, um, his offer of the kingdom has been rejected. He's now offering the gospel of grace to everyone. And that had started just one chapter before in Acts chapter 2 at what is called Pentecost. So this idea of the church is a very, very new thing. And in Acts chapter 3, I want to start in verse 11, and I want to go all the way down here to 26 to make a point. 
because it talks about how the people misunderstood, misread what Jesus was there for, and also the fact that this was prophesied all in the Old Testament, and it tells us what the kingdom, um, how the, the kingdom was going to come about, all from, from uh, Peter relating to these people his understanding of the Old Testament, which is, by the way, the correct understanding because he now had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, because he, Peter, is now a member of the church. Remember, the church initially was all Jewish. So let's go back here to Acts chapter 3 and look at verse 11. Peter and John uh, have now just performed uh, a miracle uh, with an individual and, and raised this fellow up, and they're saying here in verse 11, while he was clinging to Peter and John, this man that they had just healed, all the people ran together to them uh, at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. Verse 12, but when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Verse 15, But put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Verse 17. And now we're getting into a particular point I want to make here. Verse 17. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Verse 19, Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Verse 20, And that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. Verse 22, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it shall be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days. The point here I wanted to make was that he's Peter is showing that these people misunderstood uh, the reality of what was being offered to them. They were thinking more about themselves 
in both cases. Remember, we talked about two different groups, the the religious leadership, which was basically the rulers over the daily lives of the Jews, the Romans being the overarching government of, of Israel at that time. But the religious leaders had a major, major influence on the people, and the Roman government was allowing them to basically run things as they saw fit. And they saw the promise of this Messiah, the promise of this kingdom, as a threat against their authority. They had no longer had this deep abiding respect in God and that we need to be um, humble towards the people. They were quite the opposite. They were self-righteous to a great degree. And then the people themselves, as he said, men of Israel, so he's talking to the general population, you basically crucified him because you didn't appreciate what he was offering you. Remember we talked about how he not only was offering the blessings of this kingdom, but he was also saying that you must uh, walk upright according to the, uh, the ordinances of God so that you would live a righteous lifestyle. And that, of course, went against their basic lifestyle at the time. So a lot of misunderstanding here. But then we come down to the, um, what I kind of look at this as the second part, verses 11 through 16 is one thought, and then 17 to the end here that we finished in 24, talking about how God had this all planned out, that he would send his Messiah, and that he would bring a time of restoration, a time of refreshing. Look in verse 19, he refers to it, times of refreshing, and the period of restoration. Well, if you're refreshing something, it's something that was already there before, and you're now refreshing it. If you have restoration, it means that there was something there before which has been taken away or diminished or torn down, and now it's being restored. And these are all references to what it was uh, for a period of time that most people thought of as the most idealistic was the time of David, time of David and Solomon, when the kingdom was at its greatest um, geographic expanse, the time when the kingdom was at its greatest glory, uh, a time when the nations that surrounded Israel were all in fear uh, and honored Israel and uh, actually paid homage to them through gold and silver and food and so forth. It was a a wonderful time in the time of Israel, and they haven't experienced anything like that since. And he was saying, I'm going to send my son and restore this to you. But you killed him. You killed the one that was going to restore this to you. So now this is yet future. And and really there's a prophecy, a future prophecy in here when Peter is talking about 19, 20, and 21. He says, now repent and return so that uh, God may send the Christ again, is basically what they're saying in verse 20. So it was promised the first time, and that's what we're studying here in the gospel of the kingdom, but it will happen again. And you see that all contained in these few verses of Acts chapter 3 from 11 to, to 24. So I wanted to share that with you just to give you an idea of what Peter was sharing after Christ had already gone back that God had not turned his back on Israel, but had merely postponed the kingdom because they acted in ignorance and did not understand really what God through Jesus was offering them and will offer and they will accept here in, I believe, the near future once the church is raptured out of the way and the tribulation takes place. 
Let's move on now, and I want to get us into uh, what is called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And it's basically Jesus um, describing the, the, the moral and ethical aspect of the kingdom and what it would be like and who would be blessed and who would enjoy those blessings in the millennial kingdom. So I want to start by a little bit of um, information before that. So if the um, Beatitudes start in chapter 5, let's go to chapter 4 of Matthew. Chapter 4 of Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 4, it's setting the stage for Jesus early in his ministry. And it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You'll remember uh, in our program yesterday, and I believe the one before that as well, we talked about Matthew 3, the chapter before here, where John the Baptist was saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, announcing that Jesus would come. Now Jesus has come. It's been six months or so. He's been baptized by John in the Jordan. He's been tested by the um, by Satan for 40 days in the wilderness and so forth, and now he is announcing himself, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Literally, I am the king uh, standing in front of you, if you will accept me, and that's that's the key thing that um, people are having a hard time understanding. But obviously, here he's starting to identify and call out his disciples, and these particular people would then become his apostles later on. But now they're just disciples; they're simply students. And then I want to move down to chapter uh, four, verse twenty-three of Matthew. And it says in verse 23, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, and Galilee is the northern third, if you will, the northern geographic third of Israel, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. I am the king, and the king is here. And healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria. So beyond Israel, the news spread, and they brought to him. So they, being people not only in Israel, but from outside Israel, uh, Gentiles, were being people were being brought to him, all who were ill, those suffering from various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and Jerusalem, and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. And we know for sure when it says the Decapolis, Decapolis means ten cities, that these were the cities of the Gentiles on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, up in the region known as the Galilee. So we know that people from Jew and Gentile backgrounds were coming to Jesus because they heard that he was healing them. So it was a physical draw that was bringing him, not a spiritual draw, a physical draw. And that's what we want to expand on as we move into the uh, just a few verses here in Matthew chapter 5 in our next teaching portion when we talk about the Sermon on the Mount. But now we want to transition, as we always do, over to our Q&A. And during our Q&A last time, we were talking about uh, one of the 
five groups or six groups actually of people who um, are counted as righteous, only one of which is included in the rapture. Because the question is, who is not going to be included in the rapture? Well, obviously the unrighteous will not be included in any resurrection except the great white throne when they're resurrected to stand before Jesus and be judged for their sins. But there are several resurrections of righteous people, and we uh, went over that in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 to 26, and it said that Jesus was the first fruits of those who would be resurrected each in their own turn. So he's talking about each of these groups, and those groups are the church, obviously, which will be raptured out here. And that's the, the, the next event on the prophetic calendar, but it has no signs, so we don't know when it, when it will happen. Then we have the Old Testament saints will be resurrected. Then the tribulation saints will be resurrected. The Jews and the Gentiles, each separately, who these are the Jews and Gentiles who make it through the tribulation, will, will stand for judgment before Jesus separately. Um, and we'll talk about each one of those judgments. So these are all righteous people, and they're going to be judged, and they're going to have um, different rewards. I say that because the Old Testament saints, the tribulation saints, and the church will all receive glorified, eternal, imperishable bodies, whereas the Jews and the Gentiles that are judged at the end of the tribulation will keep their earthly bodies and will populate the millennial kingdom on the earth. So we want to talk about each one, and we've been in the first of this group, the Old Testament saints, and we were showing that the distinction between the Old Testament saints and the church, uh, the church immediately followed what the period that we would call the Old Testament saints, the distinction was the Holy Spirit. And in the Old Testament, and what would distinguish an Old Testament saint was that the Holy Spirit would come on an individual during the Old Testament time, but if they turned to iniquity and unrighteousness, the Holy Spirit would leave them. And if they happened to be in a state of unrighteousness when they died, they would go to hell. But if they were in a state of righteousness, the Holy Spirit would be on them, and they would die as what is called an Old Testament saint. And we talked about those people um, being drawn out uh, from where they were, um, from the time of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, um, all the way up until Jesus was glorified after his death, burial, and resurrection, people's spirits went to Hades. And Hades, uh, people oftentimes call it hell, but it had two parts. One was the part for the unrighteous. The other part was for the righteous. Uh, the Bible refers to it as Abraham's bosom because it shows Lazarus in the, in the, the um, account in Luke of Lazarus and the rich man, the, the uh, rich man who is in the um, tortuous side, the uh, evil side of Hades, is looking across this uh, chasm that he cannot cross, and he sees Lazarus, a righteous man, leaning up against Abraham, and, of course, the chest of a person is the bosom. So that's where Abraham's bosom gets its name. Lazarus was leaning against Abraham, just as John leaned against the bosom of Jesus at the Last Supper in the famous painting. So when Jesus 
was glorified, what he did is he went down into Hades before he went to heaven and took all of the people on the Abraham's bosom side, took their spirits to heaven with him. And we read that in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, that he descended and then he took captives with him. And these were the captives that were on the Abraham's bosom side of uh, Hades. He took them to heaven. And then once Jesus was glorified, if you died uh, as a righteous person, you would be a member of the church at that point with the Holy Spirit indwelling you forever. And when you die, when, when you and I die, if we're not here when the rapture comes, our spirits will go to heaven, go to the new Jerusalem. And then, of course, at the rapture, our bodies will be brought out of the graves and matched up with our spirits into a glorified body, and we will be with God forever at that point. So I wanted to expound just a little bit more on this understanding of Old Testament saints by going to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. So we were in Ephesians in the New Testament, Ephesians 4. Now we want to go a little bit further to the right to the the big book, the 12 chapters of Hebrews, an amazing book written to Hebrew Hebrew Christians who were being um, tempted by the Judaizers to go back into Judaism. And uh, whoever wrote Hebrews, and I believe it's Paul, but anyway... um, it's a whole book addressing the Jews, the Hebrews, uh, about here's why you do not want to listen to these Judaizers. You want to stay strong in your faith. Well, talking about faith, chapter 11 of Hebrews, where we want to go, is about faith. In fact, it's called the faith chapter. And I want to read the first four ver- first six verses here, and then we'll look at two other sets of verses to make the point here about who are Old Testament saints, and how could they be saved uh, if they died before Jesus? So in Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 6, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, faith, the men of old gained approval. And we'll expound on approval a little bit later. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he, Abel, obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, verse 5, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So again, all through chapter 11 of Hebrews, which we'll continue in our next uh, Q&A portion, is all about the faith of the Old Testament saints. And that's what we want to continue with in our next program. Remember, if we don't talk again, 
I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.